Well, hello, my friends, and welcome to Hope for Your Heart. This is Pastor Calvin Corbett. So glad that you're joining us on the Friday broadcast. I hope that you're ready to worship the Lord this weekend. And if you don't have a place to worship, well, come on down to Hickory Ridge Community Church. We have a 9 o'clock service or a 1045 service on Sunday. We would love to have you join us. Well, today I want to have a standalone message on the subject of how in the world... Can I avoid arguments? How can I avoid arguments? I thought this would be a good message for this weekend because as you're going to be spending some time with your family and some friends and and going to church, uh, there may be some opportunities as football season is starting again uh, that you might find yourself getting into some heated arguments, okay? So how in the world can I avoid arguments? Well, before I go too far, let me give you a dad joke, okay? It was Christmas time and the son-in-law wanted to give his mother-in-law just the perfect gift. So he purchased a burial plot and gave it to his mother-in-law on Christmas morning. Well, needless to say, this gift was not appreciated at all. So the next Christmas, the son-in-law decided he would not give his mother-in-law anything for Christmas. When the mother-in-law asked why she didn't get a gift this Christmas, the son-in-law said, well, you haven't used the gift I gave you last year. (laughs) Well, I hope that is a blessing to you. Uh, We are getting close to Christmas, and we're well at the end of September, beginning of October, and uh, now entering my favorite time of the year. Well, let's talk about how in the world can I avoid arguments. Colossians chapter 3 says this, You are God's chosen race, His saints. He loves you, and you should be clothed with sincere compassion in kindness, and humility, and gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, or we could say, forbearing with one another, forgive each other as a quarrel begins. Now, don't you love how that is? Forgive each other as a quarrel begins. You know, the church and the home are two places where God teaches us to bear with and to forgive one another. Engraved on the tombstone of the poet Robert Frost are these words, I had a lover's quarrel with the world. Frost himself chose that epitaph. What it means really is that he had a lover's quarrel with God. And whether we realize it or not, the same is true for all of us. You know, there's a painting in a museum in Europe, and it takes a dark, storm-tossed seascape. There are great Roaring waves crashing on a rocky shore. Lightning splits the sky, tearing holes into the night. The title of the painting is Peace. And I know most people think that it is horribly misnamed. And they walk around scratching their head. But they fail to notice something. In the bottom right corner, nestled in the hollow of one of the rocks on the shore, is a small bird. It is safe. It is warm. It is secure in the cleft of the rock. You see, our world is in turmoil. It seems the storms of life are crashing on many of our heads. Yet we can be safe and we can be secure because we know the Prince of Peace. He is the rock of our salvation. His name is Jesus. You know, the very last verse of chapter 3 of the book of James ends with a note of peace. James says, And the seed whose fruit is righteousness, is sown in peace 
by those who make peace. Maybe James was remembering the words of Jesus when Jesus said, blessed are those who are peacemakers. Peacemakers. Here James says that those who are are sowing peace uh, are those who are making peace. So who are those who are making peace? Is it the church? It should be. Think about who causes you the most conflict in your life. Look at this major verse and see why you don't seem to get along with them. You see, we are always fighting, it seems, and often at odds with others. Well, the question is why? Why do we have arguments? Well, the first thing I wanted to point out is is what James says about the why of arguments. We have arguments because we have conflicting desires. James says, what causes fights? What causes quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You know, marriage has built-in conditions for conflict. Think about the things you expected of your spouse before you got married and how idealistic you were and how unrealistic you were about marriage. And then you had that rude awakening, that day when you woke up and you said, man, this is not turning out the way I expected it. Somebody said, all marriages go through three stages. Stage one is is the happy honeymoon. Stage two is the party's over. And then stage three is, let's make a deal. Let's see if we can work something out. Proverbs 17, 9 says, he who loves to quarrel loves to sin. James talks about these conflicting desires. But what are these desires that we have conflict over? Well, I think the first one would be the desire to have. That is possessions. Verse 2 says in the New Living Translation that you want what you don't have. You long for what others have. We want to have things, and, and that's materialism, that's possessions. You want, but you don't have. You long for what others have. You see, God created things to be used and to be enjoyed. That's what they're there for. Now, when we get things backwards, we tend to use people and love things. You know, it's not an accident that the Gallup poll says that 56% of all marriages end up in divorce because of money problems. So desire number one that causes conflict is the desire to have, the desire for possessions. The second desire is the desire to feel, or we could call that the desire of pleasure. James says, you want only what will give you pleasure. In 1 Timothy, we learn that God has made everything for our enjoyment. But when pleasure becomes the number one goal in my life, if it feels good, do it, then you're asking for conflict. It's going to cause problems in your life. When my pleasure takes the place over what is needful, then I'm in trouble. You see, the fact is, I'm more interested in my comfort than I am in your comfort. And all I think about is my pleasure and how I can feel good. But I've discovered something. The more I try to please myself, the less long-term pleasure I experience. The more I try to please God and the more I try to please others, the more my pleasure stays in place long-term. The same is true in a marriage relationship. The more I try to please myself, the less long-term pleasure I experience. Instant gratification leads to long-term dissatisfaction. I know that's probably a word that I just made up, but I think the statement's true. And we even know this is true with our bodies, right? I love to eat. There's no doubt about it. I love to eat. But I've learned that if I can refrain 
my pleasure to eat, I have a benefit that will help me later on. A good pastor friend of mine reminded me of the very important statement. And this pastor at one time weighed almost 400 pounds. And he was so discouraged with his health. And he felt like a big hypocrite. He said, I get up on Sunday and I preach these sermons and people look at me and they see me being way overweight and they see me being unhealthy. He says, the secret of me losing weight was this. He said, nothing tastes as good as thin feels. And with that statement, he changed his life. And he looked at his life from the long term and he denied himself of that instant gratification. You know, Moses did the same thing. Moses chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a little while, we learned in Hebrews 11.25. So we've learned so far that the conflicts that we have, these desires that we have, is the desires for possession, the desires for pleasure, and number three is what we would call the desires for power or pridefulness that desire to have, that desire to feel, that desire to be. Proverbs 13.10 reminds us that pride leads to arguments. Only by pride comes contention. Why? Because I'm too prideful to compromise, and that causes conflict. You know, I teach a course sometimes, and, and it's called Games That Inmates Play. Not only do I remember teaching games that inmates play, but I remember as a kid playing some games, right? Games that kids play would be like cry uncle. This is where you have somebody and you're wrestling with that person and you get to the point where you're being pinned and that person says, well, all you got to do is cry uncle. Now, my brother, who is 11 months younger than me, but was, was a lot bigger than me when I was growing up, my brother could nearly kill me before I'd cry uncle. I refused. I mean, I remember one time I messed up my shoulder because I refused to cry uncle. Why? Because of pride. We don't want to give in. Have you ever been in an argument where you knew you were wrong, but you wouldn't admit it? Why? It was pride. Pride causes arguments. You see, the bottom line of all things and matter of fact, the next time that you're in an argument, stop and ask yourself this question. Is it worth it? James reminds us that we do not have something because we do not ask God. And when we do ask God, we don't receive because we ask with wrong motives. So here we have even a conflict with God. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Verse number six. So the desires that I have and the desires to feel, and the desire to be is driven by power and driven by the whole concept of pride. You know, as I think about these conflicting desires, what is the cure? What is the cure for me to avoid arguments? I got these conflicting desires. There's no doubts about it. And this is what causes arguments. How can I fix it? Well, the cure for arguments is humility. You see, God will not force you to be humble. Andrew Murray said this, Humility is the sense of nothingness, which comes when we see how truly God is all, in which we will make no way for God to be all. We are filled with ourselves. James tells us, God gives grace to the humble, 
Therefore, humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will lift you up. You see, when we don't get along with other people, it's because we've got a civil war going on. That's the real issue. That is what is causing the conflict. The starting point is getting peace inside before you can have peace outside. You see, this civil war that is taking place is a conflict that is within, but then it spills out when I have to brush up against other people. Confess that you are having this struggle inside. Put yourself at peace. Find peace in your heart, because that's where the real conflict is. The real conflict is within. You get irritable. You get upset. You want things to go just the way that you want them to go. And when they don't go that way, it makes you mad. But if God's in charge of your life, it doesn't irritate you as much. Colossians 3.15 says, Let the peace of Christ rule your hearts. If the cure for arguments is, is humility, well, what is humility? Well, let's talk about what humility is not. Humility is not self-condemnation. Proverbs 11.2 says, When pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. Okay, so, so humiliation is not the same as humility. We learn from Deuteronomy chapter 8 just a wonderful passage about how to respond to pressure. In verse number 2 of Deuteronomy 8, it begins by saying, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you those 40 years in the wilderness. So Moses is saying, guys, remember how God got us through the wilderness journey for 40 years. And the reason it took us 40 years to get through that wilderness is that God wanted to humble us. And he humbled us by testing us so that we would know what was in our heart, whether or not we would keep his commandments or not. Now, this is a mouthful, right? Here we are getting a lesson from Moses to his people, and he says, you remember we wandered around for 40 years in the wilderness, and the reason that that happened is that God had to humble us because we didn't know what was in our hearts. We thought that we would serve him no matter what, that we would obey his commandments no matter what, but the testing proved that wasn't true. And he continues on, and he says, and he humbled you and let you hunger by feeding on manna. And you got that manna, which you didn't know where it came from, nor did your fathers. And he did that so that you would learn that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now, this is amazing how Moses put this together and how Jesus quotes this when the enemy, Satan, tempts him in the wilderness. Now, you remember the story, right? Jesus goes 40 days and 40 nights without food or water, and then the devil comes and tempts him, and the devil says, you see these stones down here? Why don't you command these stones to be made into bread, and that way you can be sustained? So Jesus actually quotes what Moses said, and Moses is quoting what God says, that man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now, when we look at humiliation, that doesn't bring about a change. That's not humility. Humility is when I realize that I can't live just on bread alone. I must live on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You see, the Israelites thought 
They just needed bread to survive. But they needed so much more. They needed to get their desires filled with the goodness of God. That's why Jesus said, John 6, 35, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will not get hungry at all. And he that exercises faith in me will never get thirsty at all. Well, humility is not humiliation. Humility is not disorientation, right? One of my favorite stories in the whole Bible is is the story of Nebuchadnezzar. And, And I call this the humiliation of Nebuchadnezzar. It's found in the book of Daniel. We see that he became very disoriented, but he still didn't become humble. Let's look at the story in Daniel chapter 4. All this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar. In other words, he went crazy. At the end of 12 months, he was walking on the roof of the royal palace, and the king answered and said, Is not this the great Babylon, which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? Well, you can see he's awful full of himself, isn't he? While those words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven, O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you, and you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field, and you shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and seven periods of time shall pass over you, until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And verse 33 says, Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. Now, the English Standard Version of the Bible causes the humiliation of Nebuchadnezzar. And I've been thinking about humility and pride lately and examining places in my own heart and mind where where I've tempted to think higher of myself than I ought to. Proverbs 16 tells us that the pride of our heart is an abomination to the sight of God. Proverbs 11.2 says that, that when pride comes, In comes shame. Poverty and shame are promised to those who refuse to be corrected. If you read the story about Nebuchadnezzar in its full context, you learn that God had warned him a full year in advance that this was going to happen. You see, this is the goodness and the mercy of God. We're all familiar with the exhortation from James and Peter where it says that God resists the proud. But I'm not sure we all understand how absolutely wicked, and how much of an abomination pride is in the sight of God. You see, the fruit of pride is always seen in rebellion. God considers all disobedience an act of rebellion. Rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and and stubbornness as the sin of idolatry. Pride exalts one's will above God's known expressed will. We are shown through the rebellion of Lucifer when he says, I will ascend to heaven. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of the assembly. I will ascend above the heights of the cloud. I will make myself like the most high. Lucifer fell because he got filled with pride. You know, when I look at Nebuchadnezzar, immediately what had been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was given a warning a year before he fell, but when the words were repeated again, and as soon as they were said, they were fulfilled. He was driven away from the people, and he ate grass like cattle, 
His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew out like the feathers of an eagle and his nails grew out like the claws of a bird. He was disoriented, but he was never walking in humility. There's something else about humility. Humility is not exhaustion. You know, a man's pride will bring him to lowness, but the humble of the spirit will retain honor. In Luke 14, it says, Whoever exalts himself will be abased, but he who humbles himself will be exalted. You ever get in a fight and and you're just so exhausted that you just you, you give up? Now, you haven't dealt with the pride issue. You just got so exhausted you had no more fight left in you. But you never dealt with that issue of pride. You see, humility is not just being exhausted over my sin. It's confessing that sin. Humility is not even being disconnected. Sometimes we go through a process called church discipline. We have to say to somebody, you can no longer connect and fellowship with this body of believers. That doesn't mean they necessarily will come to their senses. I think about the prodigal son. He went through a long time of being disconnected from the family, but he didn't learn humility when he was disconnected. He learned humility when he came to his senses. I love what the psalmist said about this matter of the Lord remembering us. How long, O Lord, would you forget me? Forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle my thoughts and and every day have sorrow in my heart? How long will my enemy triumph over me? Look on me and answer me, O Lord my God. Give light to my eyes or I will sleep in death. My enemy will say, I have overcome him, and my foes will rejoice when I fall. But then verse number five, this is the climax. David says, but I will trust your unfailing love. My heart rejoices in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord, for he has been good to me. You see, David didn't humbly seek the Lord when he realized he was disconnected from God. No, he didn't. I I wish he had, and sometimes I wish we would. But he was humbled when he remembered God's unfailing love. Later on, he wrote these words, Not unto me, O Lord, not unto me, but unto your name give glory. You know, when you think about ending arguments, I tell the inmates at Indian Creek often, If you stay humble, you will not stumble. There are some promises that are given to us if we walk humbly before the Lord. And in the closing moments of the broadcast, let me share these promises that are given to us if we are walking in humility. 2 Chronicles 7.14 If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves... Now, humility is this act of the will. It's not forced humility. That would be humiliation. It is not being forced to be humble. It says, if my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Now, notice the first thing God says his people must do is they must humble themselves. Even before praying, even before turning from their wicked ways, they must humble themselves. James tells us 
that God gives more grace. Therefore, he says that God resists the prideful, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. And then 1 Peter reminds us that the younger should submit to the elders. He says, yes, and all of you be submissive one to another and be clothed with humility because God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. When I think about pride, pride is a self-centered preoccupation with and an overestimation of one's own importance one's abilities or achievements, resulting in an unwillingness to submit to God and an insensitivity to others. Humility is just the opposite. Humility is freedom from a sense of one's own importance with total dependence on God and honest concerns with each other. I want to encourage you today, walk humbly in the face of the Lord and He will lift you up. Humility will end the arguments that you are facing even today. Well, God bless you. Thank you for listening to the broadcast. I look forward to talking to you on Monday. If you'd like to hear this broadcast again, you can have a free download at buzzsprout.com backslash 1890557, or you can listen on Amazon, Spotify, Google Podcast, and Apple Podcast. Hickory Ridge Community Church is located at 3320 Battlefield Boulevard South in Chesapeake, Virginia. Sunday service times are 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. We'd love for you to join us. For more information, go to hrcc7.org. And remember, no matter what you're going through, in Jesus Christ there is always hope for your heart.